0: I'm Meg Malone, Vermont Edition digital producer. And I'm
1: Vermont Edition producer Sam Gill Rosen.
0: Earlier this summer, Vermont Edition spoke with the leading candidates in the gubernatorial race, hearing their views on the top issues facing the state in a series we called Meet the Candidates.
1: In advance of the Vermont primary on August 9th, we've gathered our conversations with all five candidates together in one podcast.
0: In June, Bob Kinzel spoke with Democrat Matt Dunn about his positions on gun control, marijuana legalization, health care, and more. Here's the interview. Enjoy.
2: Matt, welcome to the program. Bob, great to be back. Let's start off talking about taxes and Vermont's overall tax system and tax policy. The state relies very heavily on the personal income tax, the sales tax, the rooms and meals tax to help pay for the state's share of the general fund budget. As governor, would you support efforts to change this current balance of taxes? I mean, for instance, would you support efforts to expand the sales tax to include services?
1: So I think we need to look at the overall tax system in the state of Vermont in the context of where we're going as an economy, and that's, that's really important. And when we do that, I'm going to be looking at one thing, which is are we basing the way that we pay for our services on ability to pay? Uh, that's what I've done in my entire career. Uh, I think people can uh, universally say that uh, the value of your property, for instance, uh, doesn't reflect your ability to pay. And that's why I focused on uh, making that change over a period of time and how we fund education. Uh, and we need to continue down that track. The other area that I think is important is that we look at taxes on Social Security benefits. Uh, You know, I've been talking about this for a couple of months now, and we came out with a specific proposal because uh, I don't believe that middle-class seniors uh, who are living mostly on a fixed income uh, should have their Social Security taxed. Uh, And so we're proposing to eliminate... Income tax on Social Security benefits for middle-class Vermonters. Uh, and then the rest of the tax code should be looked at in a, in a broader context. And I think we have an opportunity to do that with a new governor, new lieutenant governor, new leadership in the House and Senate. Uh, go back to perhaps the Blue Ribbon Commission that was brought together, I think it was six years ago, to talk about what a you know revenue system for the future might look like.
2: And everything should be on the table. So if you look at something like the personal income tax, do you think if it's if you want to make changes based on ability to pay, would you make the rates more progressive so that middle-income people pay a little bit less and wealthier folks pay a little bit more? I think what we need to do is make sure it's based on ability to pay. And I think
1: we have been known as a state to, uh, do, to care about those that are most vulnerable and make sure that they have a pathway to success. What struck stuck out to me as we were uh, looking at the taxes in the state of Vermont is that we are one of the few that taxes Social Security benefits. And as most people know, those benefits are actually taxed twice. You get taxed on the income before it has to go to Social Security, and then it's taxed when it comes back. And so that's where I would focus uh, our energy and trying to right-size that. It's clearly a regressive tax, uh, the tax that comes on Social Security benefits to middle-class Vermonters, and I believe that's where we should start. How much would that cost and how would you pay for it? You know, we haven't looked at the total numbers of dollars that it would cost uh, because I think it has to be part of a comprehensive overhaul. And the way that I would pay for it is by adjusting the uh, income tax to make sure that we are covering Uh, whatever is lost through that uh, particular exemption. But I believe that it's the right thing to do, uh, that individuals who are on fixed incomes should not be the uh, first
2: that we look to uh, in order to support our services. And how about with property tax burdens? Would you also shift more of that burden from the property tax over to the income tax? No.
1: Bob, I had the good fortune of being uh, in the legislature uh, through the the nineties and the early two thousands and was very proud of my record of moving the way that we pay for education towards ability to pay. Um, and we need to keep moving in that direction. Uh, no one in Vermont who's on a fixed income should be choosing uh, between, you know, covering their property tax bill uh, and and figuring out if they have to stay in our state. So we we need to continue to move in that direction. Uh, I grew up in the town that gave us Herb Ogden, who first put this issue on the table uh, back in the 70s and 80s. And I believe we need to continue in that direction.
2: I mean, we have income sensitive. Now, So for families that have a household income up to around $120,000, they're going to pay their school taxes based on their income, not the value of their property. Does it need to be expanded further? I, I think it does.
1: I think it does. I think it can uh, expand even further. I think we also need to make sure that we're covering things on a statewide basis that affect tax rates disproportionately. Um, that's why I believe that extraordinary special ed costs should be covered by the state uh, rather than it's being something that lands on one small school or another. Uh, it doesn't uh, do any good as it as it may stigmatize a particular family uh, and it isn't good uh, fiscal policy to have uh, the the choice of a family to live in one community to have a disproportionate impact uh, on that community
2: let 's take a look at the issue of guns you've called for a Vermont law that it would expand background checks for all gun sales, including private sales you've also called for a ban on the sale I think of military style assault weapons. Is that correct? So I've said that I would uh, I would sign uh, a
1: bill uh, that uh, banned military assault weapons if it was workable. Uh, but I believe that the real priority has to be on universal background checks. And you know, no one uh, in this country can uh, be unaffected by the tragedies that have taken place over the past year, and particularly the horrific events in Orlando. Uh, and as a parent uh, who had to answer the questions from my kids who are, you know, 11, 7, and 6, uh, I want to be able to do something. Uh, and in our research, in reaching out to advocates on all sides, uh, I am convinced that what we need to do is to implement universal background checks to make sure that people who are uh, criminals and uh, mentally ill are not able uh, to, to buy firearms in the state of Vermont. And it's uh, past time. Uh, we need to make sure that that, that happens. Uh, and I will look at, uh, you know, any other proposal that uh, looks like it will actually
2: have an impact. So opponents of this are going to say, hey, you know, criminals don't pay attention to this stuff. You can put background checks in place. But if a criminal wants to get a weapon, they're
1: going to. Yeah, that's, that's not what the evidence shows out there, actually, is that if you have a true universal background check, uh, and that's, that's enforceable. Uh, and you are uh, making sure that all Vermonters uh, know that it's their responsibility to do a background check. Uh, it will make a difference. Uh, and the, the reason that I believe it will make a difference is that no Vermonter wants to wake up one morning and find out that the firearm that they sold to someone was used in an atrocity. Uh, there, it doesn't matter uh, who you are or uh, what kind of gun owner you are. You want to make sure that the, uh, that, that the firearm that you may have sold is uh, being sold to someone who will not use it uh, for awful, hate-filled actions. Uh, and that's what I believe a universal background check will achieve.
2: You said in terms of a military-style assault weapon, if it can be done, well, what's your apprehension there? What what are the questions that you have? So the, the issue is that uh,
1: the definition of a, you know, military-style weapon is very difficult. And it's been a challenge both at the federal level when they attempted to do the assault weapons ban. It's been a challenge as even places like Burlington have tried to figure out if that is a part of the package they wanted to present. Uh, And again, uh, we are, I think, pretty united uh, in knowing that we do not want to have a situation where one person filled with hate can create an atrocity. Uh, But uh, we need to make sure that we are uh, doing things that will work, uh, that we can actually get past. Uh, and that will make a difference. And I believe that a, a focus on universal background checks is the right first step. Uh, and again, uh, if there is a bill that is passed that that's workable uh, to uh, you know limit the number of military s- uh, style assault weapons, I-, I will sign it.
2: So there are thousands of Vermont hunters who use semi-automatic rifles during deer season. Mm-hmm. Should those be banned? No.
1: So Absolutely not. No, and this is where it becomes difficult uh, because the uh, definition of a firearm is not an easy thing uh, by any stretch. Uh, and having you know, grown up in in Heartland, Vermont, where uh, hunter safety was taught in our school gym, uh, and where I went hunting with my father. Uh, we have a long tradition of hunting, and to jump to definitions uh, like semi-automatic uh, uh, weapons uh, includes a whole bunch of things that people I don't think really intend them to include. So that's why I think we need to focus on universal background checks and then make sure we're looking at all options that are out there and not leave anything on the table. I've, I've been very proud of, you know, my hero John Lewis, uh, who's also being joined by Peter Welch and others by taking action in uh, D.C. because we have to have this conversation. As uncomfortable as it may be, the activities that have happened force us to be having this conversation of what a good pathway is forward. And Washington has become so gridlocked that they won't even allow to have that debate in the people's house. You know, that's a real problem. And if there was ever a place where we could have that debate, uh, where, frankly, we can show the rest of the country that people who may have different views and opinions and a, and a long tradition of supporting uh, sportsmen, uh, it should be in Vermont. And so we need to have everything on the table. Uh, we need to have that, that debate. And we need to come out with solutions that actually make a difference. The other one that I would mention is uh, I think we need to be enforcing some of the laws that uh, haven't been enforced to date. Uh, there should not be straw purchases uh, at gun shows. Um, that's something that is, uh, you know, banned federally currently. Uh, it should not happen in Vermont um, because we know, at least from you know, some evidence we've seen, uh, that those kinds of straw purchases le- lead to guns going into the hands of other people uh, and then out of state. And and Vermont has changed, and in no small part because of the heroin epidemic uh, that has changed the nature of, of violence in our state and situations where uh, firearms are being used as currency for drugs. And uh, we can't, with a good conscience,
2: uh, allow that to happen. We got an email from Mill in Heartland who wants to talk about education. Mill wrote, School choice towns across Vermont are under pressure to give up choice and merge with larger K-12 districts. Will you support changes to Act 46 that would allow school districts to retain their legacy of choice while merging with districts that operate K through 12 schools? Well, and I appreciate Mills' question, and I,
1: you know, I believe that the mosaic of educational offerings we have in Vermont is one of the things that makes us truly special. And I was very concerned about Act 46 as it was going through the legislature before there was even a governor's race on the horizon. Uh, and the reason that I was concerned is that I felt that it was jumping to merging of governance at a 900-pupil number without thinking about that wide variety of uh, educational offerings in schools and school districts. Uh, and some of those uh, are ones that... Uh, allow for really great K-8 schools uh, and then have had, you know, a century of tradition of tuitioning out. Uh, And they give up governance uh, of those high schools in order to have uh, those options. Uh, And I think that's a fine decision for local communities to make. Uh, but I also believe that there is not a cookie-cutter approach to any of this. There are some changes that I think we do have to make, and I appreciate the uh, the, the focus that generated Act 46, which we, we do have a declining student population. And in some communities that have been talking about merging governance for a long time, a little extra help to allow that to happen, I think was just fine. Uh, but I think that if we are jumping to school consolidation, Uh, At those kinds of numbers, we're looking at situations where kindergartners uh, would have to commute an hour each way to school. And we all know what would happen to those communities uh, if that happened. So my approach would be to focus on eliminating uh, overhead. Uh, I don't think we need 60 superintendents for 78,000 schools. I don't think each school district needs its own payrolling system or its own electronic student records. That could all be done centralized and focus our money on delivering education. And then we can actually look at the state as more of a system and do assisted distance learning and allow for a class that's taught in one location uh, to be taken by one or two students in 8, 10, or 12 other school districts and locations around the state.
2: So specifically, though, to Mill's question, your answer would be no. That
1: my, my belief is that right now the balance is right. And I think we're do, we have a good system uh, where some uh, communities that are too small to have their own high school are choosing to uh, tuition out high school. Uh, and some who have decided to come together and have one unified uh, school system with more governance
2: is working for them as well. Let's talk to Bob in Johnson. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the program.
3: Hey, Matt. Bob Hoag, Lamoille Ambulance Service. I really appreciate you supporting Bernie Sanders and the way you're talking about it. But the $15 and that minimum wage is above what I'm being reimbursed to be able to pay my people. Um, all most ambulance services in the state of Vermont not only have to charge the insurance companies, but they also have to charge their towns. I'm not able to, I'm a standalone private. The ambulance service if I have no other subsidy and you the federal government and the state government do not pay enough to pay my people that amount. How do I do it?
1: So there's a, a real obligation all the way around. Uh, for for those who, who don't know, I've I believe strongly that we need to get to a fifteen dollar minimum wage over a period of time. And I th- believe that because I believe that no one in Vermont should be working a forty hour week and still living in poverty. Uh, But that's going to take all of us coming together to make sure that that works uh, for our communities across our rural state. Uh, Part of that is going to be the state government stepping up and saying that we're going to pay a living wage and that we're going to reimburse at a living wage. Uh, And the other is that we do some direct support to Vermont-based small businesses uh, who are going to be absorbing some of this impact. And I... Know that we can do that because, in fact, if we raise the minimum wage $15 an hour, there will be significant savings uh, in the state budget Uh, because right now people who earn less than that uh, receive a whole host of subsidies from the state. Uh, and that money uh, should not go just to fill a hole in the general fund. Uh, it should be directed at making sure that we're doing right by our reimbursements to organizations that are our partner It includes the mental health services uh, organizations across our state. Uh, it should go directly to small businesses that are, that are uh, based here in Vermont uh, to make sure that they can make the transition and do so effectively without harm and hopefully improving their businesses. Uh, And it's also about making sure that we get rid of uh, some of the the other benefit cliffs uh, to make sure that when we get to that level, that people can still continue to grow in their jobs without falling behind.
2: We have this email from Marianne in Linden Center. Uh, She wants to know your position on industrial wind farms. There is a candidate in the race, Peter Galbraith, who has called for a ban on uh, these industrial wind farms. Marianne is an early supporter of yours and wants to know, what's your position? Do you support a ban?
1: So, uh, you know, I want to start from the place that I believe that climate change is the biggest threat, not only to the uh, Vermont environment, but to humanity in general. And we have to be a state uh, that does our part, and frankly, that leads the way, uh, because when Vermont leads, the rest of the nation follows. And that's why I'm a strong proponent of getting to 90% renewables uh, by 2050. Uh, You know, and I think that wind has to be a part of that mix. Now, does that mean that we need to have a system that creates uh, anger and consternation throughout our state? Absolutely not. That's not the Vermont way. Uh, And we also need to make sure that we do not have a scenario where people believe uh, that poorer parts of the state are having to own the production of energy in order to benefit uh, folks in the rest of the state. So I feel strongly that there needs to be more community involvement. Uh, that there needs to be more uh, engagement uh, on, a, on the whole in how we do these citing projects. We need to bring science to bear uh, in order to evaluate those projects. And frankly, this is uh, probably the time where we can bring back the idea of a statewide plan. Uh, and when they created Act 250, there was supposed to be an Act 200 that would create a statewide plan and help us think together as a state about where we want to do development and where we don't and I'm hopeful that this uh, issue around renewable energy uh, will actually bring folks from all sides together uh, to finally have that conversation about how do we want to use our uh, precious resources as a state
2: uh, while still doing right by our planet. Do you support the bill that was uh, adopted during the recent legislative special session? I do. I do. I don't think it's going to
1: solve the problems for everyone who are concerned about these developments. Uh, And I think that we need to continue to be proactive to make sure that we are addressing these issues
2: in a Vermont way. Let's talk about health care for a second. Do you support the implementation of a single-payer system or perhaps the creation of a public option at the state's health care website and exchange to provide universal access? Is that the direction you want to head in? I, I believe we need to get to
1: universal health care. And I believe that because of the math. Uh, we have uh, have a, a situation where the cost of health care is going up in the state of Vermont at a rate of $650,000 a day, each and every day. And it's affecting all of our budgets, whether it's at the kitchen table, it's at the school budget and property taxes going up as a result, or the holes in the state budget. Uh, and I also believe that health care is a human right. Uh, and we know that in Vermont because we're not the kind of state that's going to kick people out of an emergency room when they show up. They're just showing up at the most expensive time uh, and at a, at a at a moment where it hits them uh, the worst in terms of the treatment that they can actually get. So we need to move down that path. And I strongly believe we have to get there. And in fact, I was a co-sponsor of the universal health care bill back in 1994 because I didn't think the math worked then. And it really doesn't work now. Uh, But we've got to make up uh, a lot of ground. I think Bernie Sanders has helped a lot uh, by putting this issue front and center uh, and making Vermonters feel comfortable again that we can get there. But we have to rebuild trust. And unfortunately, with the failed website, uh, people lost trust in government in a wide variety of ways. Uh, but particularly in this area of healthcare. So, what I will do is bring together a team, and I've had experience in the in the private sector implementing uh, websites, you know, like this, uh, and in the public sector. Uh, and I will bring together a team to actually fix the website, make sure we're regaining trust move us quickly to reimbursing based on public health and not fee-for-service or how many MRI machines you can keep going or how many hospital beds you can fill, and then go to universal primary care to make sure that every Vermonter has a doctor. And then from there, once we have proven to Vermonters that we can make this work and it makes a difference in their lives, both dollar for dollar and in their health, then we can move on to universal health care.
2: And would you use the payroll
1: tax to pay for that? I think we would look at all options on the table to make, make sure we uh, are able to cover it and cover it right. Uh, but I think the reason why you know payroll ta- tax is talked about most often is that it would replace what most people are paying right now in premiums through their payroll tax. And we want to have as little disruption for folks as we can. And I believe that what they will see is an actual reduction in health care costs and, therefore, a reduction in their uh, what comes out of their paycheck.
2: Let's go back to our callers and talk to Peter in Heinsberg. Hey, Peter, welcome to the program.
3: Yes, hello, Bob. Thank you very much for taking my call, and good afternoon, Mr. Dunn. Hey, Peter. Hello. Hey, so I have a two-part question. I am a recovering heroin and crack cocaine addict. And I have been clean for two and a half years now. Um, so my Congratulations. First question is: Thank you very much. Yeah. So I'd like to know exactly how you intend to deal with the opiate crisis in Vermont, and also, um, when I in my drinking and drugging days, I saw countless times, countless times, I saw people that have EBT cards or um, food stamps they would take they would go and buy two hundred dollars worth of food and trade it for a hundred fifty or a hundred dollars in drugs for um, for their dealer for their drug dealer so I'd like to know how you would uh, deal with those problems and address them sure
1: thank you for the question and, and Peter thank you for sharing your experience. And again, congratulations, because what you are doing each and every day is, uh, is, is serious, serious work. Um, so thank you. Uh, the heroin epidemic in our state is absolutely devastating. And it has come on like a freight train. Uh, in fact, over the last six years, the, the growth has been unbelievable. And it's no longer something that we talk about, you know, being about them. It's about all of us. I don't think there's a vermonter who hasn't been affected by it or known someone who's been affected by it a a, a friend and former colleague of my mom uh you know lost his 22 year old son over the winter and it's uh it just it hits it hits very close to home now on a regular basis and we're at real risk of losing an entire generation of vermonters so here's how I would approach this and uh, I think the first thing you'll notice is that i, I I'm not going to tell you that we can arrest our way out of the problem because we can't This is a health epidemic, and we need to treat it as such. The first is that we have to invest aggressively in prevention. Uh, If we invested a fraction of what we invested in reducing the rate of smoking, uh, in reducing heroin, we could make a big impact in making sure that young people uh, are not uh, starting down the path of, of heroin addiction. The second is that we need community organizers on the ground. Uh, We need to make sure that the spread of heroin addiction uh, stops going from household to household, uh, particularly in communities that are uh, particularly affected uh, by this epidemic. And I have experience with my work at AmeriCorps VISTA on doing just this kind of work and placing people in these communities, and I think there's a national service uh, role to play in making this happen. Uh, The third is we have to have treatment beds available for when people have a moment of clarity. Having a 360-day waiting period for a treatment bed is simply unacceptable. Uh, We need to make sure that individuals can uh, go, even if they're arrested for something else, if it's clear that they are ready for treatment, they should be taken directly to a treatment bed, and one has to be available for them. And then the final piece is engaging the uh, healthcare establishment on reducing the prescription of opioids. Uh, And there's been some recent uh, research Articles that have come out that have shown that drug companies actually knew uh, that opioids do not make a difference after the first day in pain control, and yet we're still encouraging doctors to prescribe for weeks on end. Uh, And that's got to stop, because the overprescription of opioids is a contributor. Uh, Opioids need to be seen as the last solution, not the first solution for pain. There are lots of other options that we can use and some real bright spots for how community engagement can make a difference, like some of the work that's being done in Rutland. But we have to invest in it, and we have to take it on as the health crisis that it is.
2: And what do you think about the legalization of marijuana? So
1: I actually believe that uh, we need to move forward with the legalization of marijuana because I I don't know anyone who thinks that prohibition has actually worked. In fact, if you talk to any teenager, they would tell you that it's easier to get uh, marijuana than it is to get alcohol. Uh, And we need to uh, move forward in a way that is a Vermont way. And in fact, I think we need to move relatively quickly uh, so that we're not having to react to other states that, as I understand it, are planning on putting this issue on a referendum. Uh, If we do it right, uh, we will have a very careful and controlled mechanism for actual distribution. Uh, We will invest first dollar in prevention and enforcement. And as the parent of three children under the age of 12, uh, my objective would be at the end of the day to have a significant reduction in the number of minors uh, who are using marijuana because the research does show that there is a real impact on, on brain development. And so that's what I would be using first dollar on, make sure we get rid of the black market and make sure that we are moving forward uh, with uh, real prevention programs uh, for minors.
2: Got about a minute left, but what do you say to those folks who say, Vermont already has two legal drugs, alcohol, tobacco, it makes no sense to legalize a third? You see,
1: I would take just the opposite argument, that in fact, if we are able to Legalize marijuana in a careful way, not jump into having edibles available and everything else, that we can actually reduce uh, marijuana usage for those under the age of uh, 21 and that it would actually take it out of the black market uh, where I I don't think is a a good place, where we're actually, you know, contributing uh, to people who are knowingly breaking the law. Let's set up a structure so we can do it right, learn from other states and make it happen here in Vermont.
2: Matt Dunn is one of the three Democrats seeking the party's nomination for governor. Matt, many thanks for being on the program today.
0: That was Vermont Editions Bob Kinzel speaking with Democratic candidate for governor Matt Dunn.
1: For more from the candidates for governor, head to VPR.net, where you'll find all of our coverage of the gubernatorial race, including debates between the Republican and Democratic candidates, AMAs with each of the candidates, and the latest news on the campaigns.
0: And of course, tune into to Vermont Edition on Wednesday, August 10th at noon and 7 p.m. for results and analysis of Tuesday's primary. I'm Meg Malone.
1: And I'm Sam Gail Rosen. Thanks for listening.